Welcome to episode 65 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelton. On today's episode of the podcast, we'll be spending over an hour dissecting exactly what McClunky means and how it affects the Star Wars universe as we know it. Of course, I'm kidding, but Scott, I have to ask, how are you? But more importantly, what the heck is McClunky? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm doing great. I had a nice relaxing weekend up in Portland, Maine, drinking uh, beer from a lot of different breweries, eating some oysters, a lot of oysters, and just generally relaxing. And I come back and little did I know, I check my phone and the first thing I hear about is McClunky. No, I'm kidding. I heard about it before I went to Portland, but that is something else, man. I I, I just, I haven't, I've watched like the cutout of the scene that's edited uh from is it yeah it's a new hope the the scene the famous scene at this point uh of han and greedo and hearing that cut out it's just like george lucas is just keeps on trolling man he just keeps on trolling i did i did listen to a podcast that talked about it that this was probably edited this way like literally a decade ago and there's not been a re-release of the star wars movies in like the last i think it was since like 2000 six or seven i I was gonna say i think 2007 might have been the last one yeah so it's been a long time and then george lucas recut another version i guess because he just never gets bored of recutting episode four five and six and this is like this is the first time it's actually been released so even though it's technically been this way for 10 years they haven't they never re-released uh the movies and so that cut never got uh updated to, to that new version but i guess more interestingly it's not the first time we've heard the word mcclunky which i'm you know, Alex Damon probably immediately caught on to because he's a psycho. And in fact, I believe it's Sebulba from episode one of Phantom Menace that the Phantom Menace that um, that says it to, I think, one of the traitors. I'm not even sure. But the point is, it means something like this will be the end of you or some mm-hmm. dumb stuff that didn't need to be cut in. Uh, George Lucas just continued to troll everyone because obviously he famously wore a shirt what like back in like the 70s or 80s that said Han shot first or something like that uh just to just to troll people so he keeps on trolling well i mean and let's be real here han did shoot first and that original cut of the movie is the best cut and should never have been messed with um have you seen the original cut of the movie like where'd you find it no i've seen i I, like i've seen i know what the scene looks like in the original cut of the movie i haven't watched like probably the full original cut of the movie but i've Mm -hmm. seen that scene from the original cut which is just on shooting first um it's very clear and not greedo just having terrible aim and shooting the wall right next to han Mm -hmm. but yeah scott i i legitimately think this is one of the funniest things that has happened in 2019 in movies also 2009 Uh, (laughs) yeah and 2009 um McClunky is something about it's the the cadence of it, the delivery of it, the fact that right afterwards it just explodes with gunfire. And I think the fact that like everything that Greedo says in the scene is translated into subtitles except McClunky. And so it's just like, what is the purpose of this whatsoever? Um, And I've watched it like 50 times and it still cracks me up so much. So um, I guess shout out to, to George Lucas for, you know, at least making his troll pretty hilarious 
I mean, we're going to keep finding George Lucas trolls until that guy dies and then probably find a few more after he dies too. So get used to it. Yeah, no, totally agree. Um, and check out our Star Wars series, which is going on right now. Yeah, um, we just had an episode drop. Today is time of recording, Sunday, for those of you who are actually listening to this after we release it, which will be probably a few days from now. But uh, we wrapped up the original trilogy. We have, we're have we more than halfway done. we got four episodes left. Keep keep listening. All right, Scott. Well, I think that is enough McClunky chat, and I think we can now turn our attention to the business at hand, which is reviewing one of my most anticipated movies of 2019, Ford versus Ferrari. Directed by James Mangold, Ford versus Ferrari tells the true story of how in the mid-1960s, Ford Motor Company attempted to stop Ferrari's dominance at the famous 24 Hours of Le Mans race by building a supercar of their own. With that lofty task in mind, CEO Henry Ford II, played by Tracy Letts, decides to bring in an expert, car salesman Carol Shelby, played by Matt Damon, who is one of the most who is one of the only American drivers to ever win the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Shelby accepts the task and the paycheck that comes with it, but there's a catch. Shelby wants his friend Ken Miles, a loose cannon driver from England, played by Christian Bale, to drive for Ford in the big race a request which ruffles the feathers of the image-obsessed Ford executive Leo Beebe, played by Josh Lucas. Scott, with an A-list director and stars, big racing sequences, and a compelling true story, Ford versus Ferrari has Oscar buzz written all over it. Did it get your engine revved up, or does it sputter out in a cloud of smoke? Yeah, I think this, I mean, this movie, to call it Oscar buzzy and Oscar baity even, I think it is is the right thing, because you have these two performances from Christian Bale and Matt Damon that are being touted as, you know, they're going to compete against each other in the best actor category. They're probably going to, you know, cannibalize votes against each other and, and end up <laughs> both of them not winning the award because they're both in the category, maybe even. And I think to, in one of those cases, I'll, I'll be a little bit of a teaser, and I think in one of those cases, it is totally an Oscar-worthy performance. I think another one is just fine. Uh, we, we can talk more about that in a second. But overall, I think that this movie, in terms of the race portions, and in terms of getting your engine running, I mean, this is what you come to the cinema for if you're coming to the cinema for race scenes. Some of the best, if not the best race scenes I've ever seen. They, you, know, you get a couple different flavors of them. You get some of those on the test track. You get some of those on the practice track. And then you get the real thing. You get Le Mans. You know, the whole movie, the first hour, 45, two hours in the movie is building up to that. And and you get that climax, I think. Uh, th that being said, though, you know, as positive I am on that note, I think that in some ways this movie does sputter out. Also, I think the end like this movie lasts about 10 minutes longer than it should. I think the ending just doesn't connect with me at all. And maybe that's for one a reason that we can get into uh, towards the end. I think that honestly, the movie could have ended, you know, at the end of Le Mans and, and, and it doesn't. It goes on for a little bit longer and. It doesn't emotionally catch me. I know it's a true story. I know they're telling the true story that happened there and they're, and they're closing the loop on that. But to me, the ending just felt like, you know, something to like try to tug at your heartstrings. It didn't feel authentic or with the tone of the rest of the film uh, to me. Maybe maybe people disagree with me. Maybe that's a minority opinion. I honestly don't know. I haven't read too many reviews of this film uh, just because I've been gone all weekend in Portland, like I mentioned. And honestly, I think that this movie is really good. I think it's a really safe movie. I mean, you texted me earlier today talking about how this movie got an A-plus cinema score. Uh, that doesn't surprise me at all. There's so much to love about this movie. It's very exciting. And honestly, I'm not sure that there's too much to piss people off in this movie or or really leave people feeling with a bad taste in my mouth because I didn't leave feeling like to be, I'll be really clear. I, I did mention some negatives just now, but I didn't leave the movie with a bad taste in my mouth. I enjoyed it. I thought it was 
overlong, like I already mentioned. Uh, but again, I still would recommend this movie. If you're talking about a, a sports movie that you're looking for for this year, I can't think of a better sports movie to go see than this, unless I'm really blanking on one right now. I think that, you know, I recommended this movie to a colleague on Friday because I think it's something they'd be really into. They were complaining about not having soccer to watch this weekend. I'm like, look, you should go check out Ford versus Ferrari. Um, I think you'd enjoy it. And that's because I think this movie is very enjoyable. It's a safe pick. I know we're going to, at the end of the episode, you, or any of the review, you're going to want to talk about its Oscar worthiness and, and whether it falls in the category. It, you know, if it won Best Picture, it would be a very safe pick. It wouldn't surprise me at all if the Academy would pick it. Um, but I don't know if this movie's message is all that deep or meaningful. Um, but you could say that Green Book last year was a feel-good movie. And in some ways, this movie is a little bit of a feel-good movie. In some ways, it's not a feel-good movie. But uh, I think it would be a, a safe pick. And, and it's not it's not challenging anyone. Uh, uh, from Academy perspective, but maybe I'm getting ahead of myself there. Yeah, no, Scott, I'm more positive on this movie. I really enjoyed it. Um, mm-hmm. I think uh, that there, are, there, it, it is saying a few things that put it on a level, I think, higher than Green Book, for example, which I don't think ex- advanced any sort of narrative at all, despite, as you said, being an enjoyable, feel-good movie. Uh, I think there, there is some stuff going on uh, behind the scenes here. M- maybe it's not quite as nuanced um, as, you know, you would get in, in a... Uh, more adventurous film. Um, yeah, I but, feel like a lot of those points are undercooked, but we can talk about them. Yeah, well, but I think that there's something to be said, I, and, and I don't think it can be overstated how difficult it is from a director's perspective to make a movie that, as you said, is going to appeal to everyone, pretty much. Like, I, ca- I can't uh, imagine uh, what people are gonna really going to find in this movie to dislike. Maybe that it's too long, but, you know, as much as I bemoan long movies, at 2019, again, I'll say it again, this is the year of the long movie actually being good. And I think that this one for me um, probably is the first one since Avengers Endgame this year where I felt like there was not a lull at all. Uh, I think that much like the cars in this movie, this movie just starts and goes and it does not let up until the very end. Um, and so I didn't feel the two and a half hours. I guess that's just a personal preference thing that we differed on that. But mm-hmm. um, I also think that um, it, the the length of it adds to, um, you know, the way that this this 24 hours of Le Mans race is portrayed as, you know, this grueling day long marathon um, and this whole process that, um, you know, led to Ford getting there. Uh, to Le Mans with Ken Miles driving, um, of course, took a long time. It took. We see Le Mans happen for the first time, um, and you know, no spoilers. But then we have to see what happens the second time a year later. And so this movie's covering a lot of ground. It's covering a race that takes a long time, and I think it really wants to stress the grueling and um, the the grueling impact that these races and and you know the intensity that these races have on the drivers and so i think that the link helps it out there a little bit um in that regard um i think the stars are great i think that both matt damon and christian bale um do really great work here um we'll talk about maybe why uh their performances succeed or maybe why one didn't succeed as much for you scott uh but i think there's a great supporting cast pretty much as well i do think the movie paints with broad strokes at sometimes um for sure i think that um that's probably my main critique is that certain portrayals of certain characters that we'll talk about um did feel a little one-dimensional and cartoonish um but i think that overall this movie gave me exactly what i wanted it is an old-fashioned um big glossy hollywood movie um with you know big movie stars doing their thing and these great really immersive racing sequences um and 
you know, I, I, I don't know that I would call it a feel good movie. I think uh, in the end, um, there are a couple of sort of uh, moments where it kind of twists the knife in when you when you think it's going to be a, a feel good movie. And um, then it kind of layers a couple different um, storylines on top of that to to sort mm -hmm. of leave you with something different in mind as you're leaving the theater. And I appreciated that because of course I didn't know the story. And I think that you'll get the most out of this if you didn't know the story. But even if you do know the story, I think uh, you're still going to find this movie really enjoyable. Um, there's not much to dislike. Maybe it is a tad safe, uh, but I think it's on the whole a much more satisfying project than Green Book is. And while I don't think it should win Best Picture, um, I think it probably belongs in the conversation at least for for a nomination. And um, if you know if it does take home that prize, ultimately, um, I'm not going to storm out of the theater like I did when Green Book won last year. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't think, and you know, if I, I, I honestly can't remember now if I said this or not, but I definitely think, obviously, Green Book is a feel good movie, but I, I don't think that that Ford versus Ferrari is a feel good movie. I think it, it sets up a story that could be a feel good story. It doesn't do that. I don't know if I mean, the problem is, I think, like, the way the movie was constructed is that the ending honestly just feels kind of out of nowhere uh, in some ways. Like, it just feels kind of asynchronous with other parts of the film. Uh, the the very very end of the movie at least but we can save that for discussion uh, later on to me and it was one of the things that uh, I guess it just made it sputter out putter out so to speak uh, and to use that kind of wording from your question but let's let's jump into the performances yeah so Matt Damon and Christian Bale obviously topping the bill two huge names two A-list movie stars mm -hmm. um, Scott I know you're not a fan of one of these people uh, and I feel I think that that may have carried over to this movie as well. But uh, do you want to talk about maybe why you enjoyed one of these performances more than the other? Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to say, I mean, I won't hide the eight ball. Like Christian Bale is an absolute super like movie star. I mean, this guy can do any role, any role you give him. I think he can do it. You know, obviously, last year we have very strong opinions, you especially about about Vice. I think Christian Bale was amazing as Dick Cheney, as much as I did not like the movie that much. Um, and you know, he didn't win the best actor Oscar for that movie. We were both satisfied that vice did not win an Oscar or didn't, did it win an Oscar? I can't even remember if it won an Oscar. Uh, yeah. Her hair and makeup. Hair styling. I think, yeah. Right? So yeah. yeah. Uh, well, we're happy it didn't win more than one Oscar. Um, and, and I agree with that, but I think that, you know, you see in back to back years, I mean, we'll see if he gets a best actor nomination this year for this role. But to me, it just proves his range, right? He's playing Dick Cheney one year. He's playing Ken Miles next year. He played Batman for a few years. He's done The Machinist. I mean, he's done everything, and he can do everything, and that's because he is one of the most talented actors in Hollywood, and I think he shows it here as Ken Miles. I think that he plays a really off-putting character. You know, maybe this is him. Maybe he's not even acting for this role. I don't know, because I've seen videos of Christian Bale being absolutely off the wall uh, sometimes, including on that set of Terminator Salvation when he uh dropped about 50 f-bombs on the line person yep. um so maybe maybe this is about on par for him i don't know uh but i think that he does a fantastic job if you're talking about someone who really i feel like he's able to just lose himself in roles and he you know is no longer christian bale and he becomes that character i think he does that almost as well as anyone does that's still acting in hollywood today and for that i think that he is like for me he's that standout performance in this film i think he is the he you know he's the beating heart of this film. He's the pulse of this film. He keeps the film going at all points that he's in it. I mean, yes, Matt Damon is, is a lead in this, in this movie, but Ken miles is the story that it's telling. And I think that that is 
right because Christian Bale is the one who puts the movie on on his on his back and and maybe this and is the reason I think that what you're describing as you know this movie you know starts at the very beginning and doesn't stop until the very end. I think there are moments in the film where a lesser actor would drop the ball and make you feel less engaged. But the problem, like the difference here is that Christian Bale keeps you engaged the entire time. His Ken Miles is so believable. Uh, you know, you really feel like you get to know this, this character, this real life person, even right from, from the time that you spend with him and, and Christian Bale, you know, take like putting on that person and putting on that person and, and showing him on screen. And Matt Damon, you know, I think that I was impressed with him for some parts of this film I think that ultimately he's given a lot less to do as Carol Shelby. I just don't think this character is all that interesting, especially when you put him next to Ken Miles. I mean, you get like the movie opens up with him winning Lamont. And honestly, that scene is like so freaking confusing. I have no idea what's going on in that scene first off. And then it immediately cuts to the next scene where, you know, he is at the doctor's office and you learn like he can't he can't race anymore for what like whatever happened at Lamar or whatever happened since then. He can't do it anymore. It took it took so much out of him that it ended his racing career. And I really don't feel like this movie follows through on that theme all that well. And so I think that that is one of the main detractors of this particular character, because I just don't think that Matt Damon is given as much to do. And he's right, he's sitting right next to someone who is absolutely at the height of his powers in this film with Christian Bale. And, you know, when it comes to this character, like, yes, I, I do understand that maybe what the movie is trying to do is say, you know, Matt Damon can't race anymore. And so he's essentially living vicariously through Christian Bale's character, living through Ken Miles, wanting to win Lamar that way, be successful that way, have this opportunity with Ford to, to be back in that, in the world of competitive racing of Lamar. I just, for me, I don't know. It, it, something just didn't click with, with the way the story was told around Carol Shelby. And we can talk more about that because I do think that's less to do with Matt Damon's performance, although it's maybe some in part uh, and more to do with the way that story was crafted and trying to balance these two different stories as much as they are intertwined to balance these two stories about these two different people ultimately. Um, but overall, I think Christian Bale knocked it out of the park. If we're talking about lead performances, Matt Damon, again, I think he was impressive in certain parts and um, it was fine. Like he was fine. He was good. Uh, I personally don't think that he should get a best actor nomination. We'll see. I still have plenty of movies to see uh, for people who are kind of up for consideration for that, so to speak. But I would hope that, I mean, if maybe they'll probably both end up getting best actor nominations. Uh, but if I had to pick one, I definitely would pick Christian Bale. Yeah. It's interesting what you say about Bale. Cause you said he's a movie star, uh, but also he could play any role. And I think that you're absolutely right about that. And yeah. even though those two statements are sort of at odds with each other. And I think that's what makes Christian Bale so great is that he is a movie star who feels like a character actor. Absolutely. Yeah, he get, like you. You know, Christian Bale's in a movie. You go see that movie, but he is exactly to your point. He's that character actor that sinks into his roles. Yeah, he never plays the same guy twice. Kind of like we talk about with Jake Gyllenhaal. I think is another great example of that. Yeah. Um, I think he's might be a little better than Jake, but I do love Jake Gyllenhaal. Okay, interesting. But no, yeah. I love Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, um, they're both great e either way. But um, yeah, he he's fantastic here. I think uh, he really turns on the charisma for this performance. Like we haven't seen from him in, in probably in a while, certainly not as Dick Cheney. Um, and even his Batman, I think, um, you know, was more complicated for, for good reasons. Um, but I think here he is just relying on his movie star charisma, um, to an extent. And I think that, uh, takes this character of Ken Miles a long way. And I, yeah, it's the, sh it's the showy performance in the movie. Um, but I don't think that Christian Bale lets it get away from him. I think he's always in control um, of what this character is, what he wants and, and who he's supposed to be. Um, 
and you know, as much as he gets to show off in some of these racing sequences and stuff like that, um, he's also good in a more restrained form, you know, in the scenes with his wife and with his son. I think that the family drama stuff between uh, Ken and his family really works. Um, and I, and I really liked those scenes between, and I can't remember the name of the actress who plays his wife, but, um, she's, she's very good, uh, as well. I thought, um, and Katrina yeah. Balf. Right. Um, and, but I thought she was very good and I, I liked the scenes, uh, between Ken miles and his whole family. As for Damon, I like, I think that this performance, yes, it's definitely in his wheelhouse. Um, but I think he does a nice job and I, really liked his portrayal of this guy who, you know, as you describe, you know, can no longer race. Um, and you can see him sort of still trying to relive, um, those days and, but also realizing how, you know, intense and, and scary those days can be. I, I really like the scene when, uh, John Bernthal's character, Lee Iacocca first shows up to, uh, you know, talk to Shelby about getting him to build this car and they go into the office and, um, you know, Carol Shelby is basically he. Get, Matt Damon gets a nice monologue about describing what it is like to win or what what it takes to win the twenty four hours of Le Mans, and you can just see him, you know, reliving the grueling intensity of that um, experience um, in the way that he, you know, tells tells the Iacocca about the experience, and I think it's it's great from Damon, and I think I I think you you've offered a plausible explanation of the whole. Um, you know, what this character's arc is supposed to be. I also think that the whole heart condition and all of that stuff is is almost a metaphor for um, a, a theme that we've seen in several movies this year, this kind of idea of like suppressing your emotions um, in order to uh, appease the man in a way. And I think that that uh, is, and it is a theme, maybe you disagree about how effective it is here, but I think that is a theme throughout the movie with, um, the relationship between Ken Miles and um, and Carol Shelby coming in conflict with what uh, Carol and later on Ken uh, have to do to appease the company that they are both working for, particularly in the case of Carol Shelby. Um, and you know, we see Matt Damon in the movie taking these pills to sort of uh, relax his his uh, heart rate, that is his increased heart rate. Um, and I think that, you know, that that's what's in, intention here in the movie. Is it, um, you know, his his increased heart rate? Is he going to give into that thrill and give into um, his friendship that he has with um, with Ken Miles? Or is he going to sort of take the pills, suppress that down um, and give in to what the corporation wants him to do? I think that the corporate critique going on here is a little bit interesting and we'll get into that and maybe and i think but i think that that's one of the themes that works because as much as the movie pits ford versus ferrari i think the movie ultimately says there's a lot of similarities between ford and ferrari yeah i guess i mean i definitely didn't get that metaphor from the heart pills but i also didn't think too much about it and i just thought that his whole i mean the problem is i just thought his heart condition was just something they set up at the beginning of the movie that they never really follow through on other than these points where you know, he does take these pills, right? And, and maybe maybe you're you're reading it right there. That didn't stick out to me, and I didn't get that from the film. So maybe it was a little too subtle for me. But uh, that's really plausible. I mean, here I definitely hear what you're saying there. I think that I think that the family dynamic between you know Christian Bale and uh, and then Ken, you know Ken Miles and his wife and his and his son. I think that again, I, maybe I just wanted a little bit more between him and his wife because I thought Katrina Balfe was so. 
Catriona. I don't know how to pronounce her name. Katrina Balfe, maybe. It's a weird spelling, but maybe it's pronounced very simply. I don't it's know. A, it's an Irish name, so it's probably pronounced nothing Not- like we're actually saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah great. Cool. I love it. Um, and I think that – I think I just wanted a little bit more out of that. I didn't feel like I got the closure that I wanted because it feels like – and I feel I feel this way about several characters that aren't Ken Miles. I feel like that, sub, that, that plot thread and even Matt Damon's plot thread, you know, you're talking about – him trying to relive that experience that he had winning Lama, being a successful racer. I think that that thread, that thread with Christian Bale's family, I think that all just goes like, you know, floods to the background in the final act of the movie because what you're getting is Lama, and that is Christian Bale, you know, versus all, you know, the elements, everything. You get a little bit of injection, of course, of Matt Damon trying to, you know, push back against Leo Beebe and, 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 um, HF2, Henry Ford II. But to me, the whole final act of the movie is just about Ken Miles being Ken Miles, winning that race, winning, you know, fulfilling his dream, doing everything that he's that he's been working towards for two, like, you know, I guess a little bit over a year now, right? Because he started 90 days before the first Lamont uh, on that project. And I guess that it just felt like all those threads that were set up were put on the back burner for the thrill of Lamont, right? For the climax of the movie. And then you get the last 10 minutes of the film it like jolts you back to reality, so to speak, but it doesn't really feel like it closes the loop on any of on either of those plot threads. For me, again, it, it sounds like it closed the loop a little bit better for you, uh, but it just felt like a very jarring uh, last ten minutes to go from Lamar to what's happening at the very end of the film, and that's not any of the performances fault. I know I'm, I'm slipping already into talking about the plot because I think the performances are really good. I think that if you had to point to one thing besides the race scenes that are good in this movie and, and the way that's kind of production is drawn up, I guess, in the mind of James Mangold, um, I think that it would be, it would be this cast of performances because they're mostly really good. I think Josh Luke, like I love Josh Lucas, but man, he is not good in this role. I think he's like the one exception. It's not his fault though. I think yeah, that, I agree. Yeah. This is one of the that is one of the characters that I w- was alluding to that I think is pr- portrayed pretty cartoonishly. Uh, I yeah. don't I don't doubt that this person probably took a lot of the actions that Josh Lucas's character takes in this movie um, in real life, but mm-hmm. he's he's the mustache twirling villain for sure. You know, he punches out a door at one point in the movie. Uh, actually, that's that seems pretty good. But um, yeah, but I, I mean, I, yeah, particularly down the stretch. Um, I don't know. Like, I again, I think that the events that they portray are probably all pretty close to being accurate. Yeah. But I'm not sure that some of the conversations went down the exact way that uh, they do in the movie. Yeah. And I mean, I think a lot of the corporate characters with maybe the the exception of Iacoco, I think are portrayed pretty cartoonishly. Even even my favorite scene in the movie, which we'll talk about at the end, is a is a hilarious scene, but a cartoonish portrayal of what surely not what actually happened in real life in that scene. In my maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but yeah, I think the performances are, are good from that core cast of characters that I think you have to rely on to make this film what it is right. You don't need the performance from Josh Lucas to not be cartoonish to make this a good film, right? To enjoy that experience, to engage in that experience. But the reality is, at whatever cost, right? These, these, you know, Josh Lucas character in particular being kind of that the primary recipient of maybe the one-dimensional treatment, I think, was disappointing for me because I think there was potential in this movie to have someone who's more complex, right? And I think that you get touches of that in other parts of the film, with, with particularly with Ayakoko, but also with Henry Ford's character as well, where these moments where 
you know, this blind rage of like, I hate Ferrari. We need to beat like whatever it costs. I'll do it. I'll write, a, I'll write you a blank check. Doesn't matter if we lose money. Um, and I think that the nuances there are lost somewhere along the way. And that's for the sake of the plot and sake of probably real life, right? Like um, maybe, maybe that is real life, but sometimes real life isn't that interesting. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, and I do want to mention uh, before we move on, I do want to mention Tracy Letts because we talked about his character. We haven't mentioned him by name really, mm-hmm. but I think he's great. Um, I think he's the standout of the supporting cast for me um, as Henry Ford II. Um, he, really brings I, I mean one scene in particular maybe the scene that you were talking about a second ago but um it's it's a really it's a it's a great scene and you see it in the trailer but it went it goes in a direction that i wasn't expecting and i think um it's it you know i'll, I'll just say it's the scene it's the scene where chris or where matt damon takes him out in the car and they drive around um and to test the car out and you know tracy lets ends this he's he's obviously very terrified the whole ride and he ends the scene by you know, weeping and you kind of think he's weeping because he's scared. And then you realize that he's weeping because he's like humbled by what he's witnessing that, um, you know, this is his, his legacy that he was, um, supposed to carry on that, you know, the Henry Ford name. Um, and you know, he, he, he says like, I wish my grandfather, I wish my father could have been here to see this. Um, And, you know, I think there's a narrative going on throughout the movie that obviously this is something that Enzo Ferrari says early in the movie, but that um, Henry Ford is not perhaps living up to the legacy of um, his, uh, you know, of his of his ancestors, uh, of the name of Henry Ford. Um, Mm. And in this moment, uh, I think he kind of feels uh, like he's he's achieved something even though he's not the one building the car it's his efforts that have brought uh this supercar about and i think that you know that humility he's he, he finally feels like uh he's really living up to the legacy in a way that he hasn't been able to do thus far and so i really thought that that was a nice and kind of surprising moment that uh, surprising direction that that scene took and tracy Letts plays it very well yeah i mean i don't know how the scene was written up but like the extent to which I feel like it's played up before it takes that turn and you understand why he's weeping it to me, it felt overacted. I don't know, but maybe that's what they were going for. Um, but like the uncontrollable weeping for like a solid minute was like, Oof, boy, this is a lot. This is uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, um, I think, yeah, I, I think for me, it was just kind of that transition from the, Oh, I'm weeping because I'm scared to, Oh, I'm weeping because I'm really actually kind of moved by the experience that um, yeah. I just had. So, I mean, maybe that's why it, it, it does go on for a long time, I admit, but yeah, um, I think that's, that's probably fair. And yeah, I, I mean, still, it's just like, it's an amazing thing. Absolutely. It's one, it's my, I mean, I already said it was my favorite scene in the movie, so that's out of the bag, yeah. but uh, no, it's a, it's a, it's a great scene. Okay, Scott, let's talk about the racing sequences. First. Oh, actually, I will say one more thing probably yeah. before following up on Henry Ford is that I think that scene is great. And that's a moment where you could get something really great for the rest of the film. But that like completely goes away after that. Uh, that whole subplot of him trying to, uh, of the, the the layered nuance of that character trying to live up to each other expectations, it goes away after that scene. You don't get that for the rest of the film. Yeah, probably fair. Yeah. Um, Okay, the racing sequences. Scott, you talked about them a little bit. Yeah. Um, why do they work for you here? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I've never... I will be the first to say I have not seen that many racing movies. So I have a small range of comparison points. I've only seen a couple Fast and Furious movies. I haven't even seen Rush. I haven't seen... What are some other classics that I'm missing here, Scott? Senna. 
Yeah, see, um, haven't seen that one. Um, but the point is, I think of the of the racing car related movies that I have seen, I think that this movie just really conveys kind of like I mean, in some ways, kind of like I feel, I feel like Creed did for boxing for me, and maybe why boxing movies make for really good sports movies, right? Is that it just really immerses you in that experience and starts to convey how grueling it must be and is to be a driver in a race like Le Mans, you know, insert race, right? It doesn't have to be Le Mans, but like in a form as a formula one driver, even as a NASCAR driver, right? Like people are just like, Oh, you're just driving around a track, whatever. And you know, there is some, some shots fired at, at, at even NASCAR, of course, in this film. But the point is like, you're not driving 60 around a track. You're driving 200 around a track. And that is a totally different experience. Of course, the whole, I think the whole movie starts and ends with this quote about, you know, it's 7,000 uh, rotations per minute. That's 7,000 RPM. Somewhere around 7,000 RPM, you like the, the car feels weightless. It's just a body moving through time and space, which I thought was a little bit cheesy personally. But I think that really delivers and captures what this movie is trying to do with its racing sequences. It feels different than everything else. I mean, one of the things that we talked about how we really enjoyed First Man last year was how immersive the experience and how grueling of an experience it is to feel what Neil Armstrong is going through when he's hurtling through space. And in some ways, I think that this movie conveys to you what Ken Miles is experiencing when he's hurtling through time and space uh, in, the, in this car. And so in the ways that it connects with you on a human level and engages you is how grueling that experience is. Because if it just showed you a car driving around a track for 30 minutes, that would not be a good film. That would not be a good a good scene for Lamont. But what it does is it puts you in the car with Christian Bale. It puts you through what he's going through. Do I think that it did that, that, that component, that piece as well, something like First Man? I don't think that it did it as well, and that's just a different experience. But I do think that it conveys what that experience is like. It gets you into the intense personal nature of the experience of driving that car, the loneliness, right? The You're out there on your own. You have to make your own decisions. It doesn't matter where your team's at. And I, and I think that that's one of the things that I really, I've really appreciated about um, you know, Creed and he also to some extent Creed 2 as well. And I think that it just does it super well. And, and of course, I think this is not a, a insightful thing to say, but a lot of what people say makes a good sports movie is that you get the, you know, the really engaging intense sports elements, but you get the, the intense personal side of things as well. And when you merge those two things together, that's what creates a good sports movie. And it gets, I mean, at the very least, this movie gets the intense sports parts, right? Yeah, totally. Um, I think you're spot on. I think that um, as much as, you know, it's important to this movie that these cars are huge, machines and that uh, you know the these they're using advanced parts and they're trying to get these machines up to levels that have never been reached before they never you know they're, they're they always focus on the man rather than the machine and um as much as i think it would be easy to lose yourself in the image of you know the cars going around the track as you say um the movie never lets you lose sight of the fact that there are men behind the wheels of these cars um and I think that's why the scenes really work. And yes, they are intense and, you know, white knuckle, uh, you know, you're, you're white knuckled watching some of these scenes, particularly during the Le Mans race at the end. You know, I kept being afraid that something bad was going to happen. You know, it up very nicely to where, um, you know, you, you really don't, if you don't know the real story, you really don't know um, what's going to happen next. Is, is Christian Bale going to be able to finish out the race or is, um, you know, because they've set, they've set up the fact that the car the car has some issues, and you know, is he going to be able to hold off those issues? Are those issues going to um, surface? Um, 
at some point in the race. Uh, you don't really know. And I think that uh, they managed to sustain that intensity throughout the, the long racing sequences. And yeah, I think first man's a good comparison point. As they, they really highlight the fact that, you know, like like in first man, space travel isn't, isn't glamorous. And in the same way, um, you know, despite how it looks on the exterior, race car driving isn't really that glamorous. Um, it's it's a scary experience and only a very particular type of person um, is cut out for this um, sort of experience. Um, and I think that the movie does a nice job of highlighting that. Yeah, no, I totally agree. All right, Scott, let's talk about some of the plot points now in this movie. Um, we can talk more about the corporate critique if you want, because I think that's uh, pretty integral. We can also talk about the ending of the movie and uh, why you felt it didn't work. Yep. Um, that last 10 minutes, go where you want to go. No, let's start with the corporate critique. I'll let you go first. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, I don't know that I have too much to add in addition to my points earlier. I think that mm -hmm. um, I, I did I did find it interesting that, um, like I said, as much as the title of the movie is Ford versus Ferrari, I think they're both made out to be villains in a sort of way. Um, mm, at, at, with, re with regards to Ferrari, I do think that this is the other area that I thought the movie was painted with very broad strokes. We really only get a couple scenes at the beginning involving Ferrari. Um, and we don't really know what the motivations of this company are. We don't really know who of the, who any of these people are outside kind of a Enzo Ferrari. But again, he's, he's a little one dimensional in the couple scenes that we see him in. Yeah. Um, and so as much as the, you know, Ferrari is in the title of the movie, this is a movie about Ford. Um, and this, is, this, this movie might as well have been called Shelby car corporation versus Ford. Yeah. Well, and I, I don't think that's a bad thing. It's just that like the, no. the title is a little misleading. Um, I think if you, and in sure. fact, the, in other countries, it's being called Le Mans 66. So oh. um, why is that? Well, because that was the race. Le no, Mans. but why are they naming it something different in a different? I mean, country? it happens with it happens with movies. Movies have different titles overseas sometimes. But um, didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Ford versus Ferrari. Those brand those brand names appeal to the uh, the basic American audience, and maybe that's why mm -hmm. they've decided to go with that title over here, rather rather than I think it is a choice by um, people oh, totally. overseas to use you know, the Le Mans 66 title, but yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. If you call this movie Le Mans 66 in, in America, they'd be like, well, what the fuck are you talking yeah, about? <laughs> exactly. Um, but I think, yeah. So, but, but I think that the movie does a nice job of, cause obviously the American dream plays a role here. Um, I think both the Damon and Bale characters are kind of trying to achieve the American dream. Um, okay. and the movie breaks that down. Um, you know, it kind of deconstructs the American dream, uh, because they don't really achieve it, I guess, in the end. They, they, maybe they achieve some version of it, but Ken Miles, he doesn't win the race, right? Um, as much as he he wins the race, he doesn't actually win the race. He doesn't get the acclaim. Um, he, you know, he, he has to, he ultimately gives in to the man and it doesn't pay off for him. Um, he, the McLaren is end up, in, in, ends up being declared the winner of the race, um, and, and, you know, it's implied maybe that Josh Lucas's character knew that this was going to happen. Um, but either way, Ken Miles doesn't win the race. Um, Carol Shelby, uh, you know, he, he, his, um, particular car with Ken Miles doesn't get the ultimately go down as the winner of the race. Um, and Ken Miles doesn't get to have this triple crown that he really wants to achieve. Um, and then of course we get the coda to the movie and obviously we're in full spoilers now. Yeah. Um, 
Ken Miles loses his life um, in pursuit of this, you know, in pursuit of the perfect lap, in pursuit of the 7,000 RPM. Um, and it's, you know. Is that why it, he loses his life? Well, I mean, they're doing the 7,000 RPM voiceover as the scene happens where he loses his life. Um, yeah, but he, like, he drove the perfect lap already. Like, he, he, did, he did drive the perfect lap, but yeah. I think. And he went 8,000 RPM like he, or whatever. In that race. He, but he feels like he can do an even more perfect lap. I think that that's sure. implied throughout the movie because even yeah. when he's way ahead in the race, he keeps trying to beat his own lap records. He beats his own lap records about 10 times in the movie. And so I think yeah. he keeps feeling like he can push this car to, you know, even even further lengths. And so yeah. I think that is what ends up costing him his life. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, much of that maybe is because of of Ford and and their actions in the movie maybe if else wins the race if he goes down and wins that triple crown he says hey that's it I did it I, I'm gonna be you know spend time with my family now I'm gonna hang it up um, I've achieved what I have to achieve in racing but that's not what happens he keeps uh, pushing himself and ultimately it ends up costing him and from Carol Shelby's perspective it ends up costing him a friend. Um, and he has to live with that regret because of course he's the one who asked Ken miles, you know, to, to ease off the gas and to let four cross the finish line at the same time. So he, he feels that our responsibility and that's why we get that scene with him, uh, going to the house at the end and speaking to, um, Peter, who is Ken miles, son. Um, and so I think that these last scenes, you know, I, I guess I could see where you're coming from, but they worked for me. I think, um, they're a necessary part of the story that um, I think it would it would have been I would have not been completely satisfied if they had just relegated this part of the story to like the little words on the screen at the end, like the the postscript on the screen that you get at the end of all uh, you know a lot of true story movies. Um, Which I you get in the that, movie. Um, Yes, you do get you do get it, but I wouldn't want mm-hmm. I wouldn't have wanted like this 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 what happens in these last scenes to be relegated to that. Like I was saying, I and I think that again, it's a nice sting in the tail at the end to remind you because even though like Ken Miles not winning the race is a sting in the tail, still like he, they walk off together, they're friends, you know, it, it's still somewhat of a feel good moment. They're they're able to parry that a little bit into a feel good moment, but mm-hmm. I think this movie doesn't want you to necessarily feel great um, and. That's why we get these, you know, these last moments with um, with Ken Miles losing his life. And so there is that sting in the tail at the end that I because I think the movie wants you to think more about what it's trying to say. Maybe it doesn't say it as effectively as you would have liked. Um, But I think that the movie isn't content with saying as much as it is an old fashioned Hollywood movie. It's not um, content with saying, hey, we're just going to leave you with a good time. We don't want you to think about anything that we've done here. This is just a big rip-roaring epic that was had no purpose but to entertain i think that um they could have done that if they wanted to but uh they chose to take a little bit of a different route with it and mm-hmm. you know maybe it's not as nuanced as it could be i think that the 7000 rpm thing is a little little underdeveloped little maybe a little cheesy as you said mm-hmm. but i respect them for trying to you know for for trying it and for not yeah. being content with yeah let's make the green book of this year yeah, and I think that's fair. And I guess I want to clarify this a little bit. Like, it's, I guess it's not, I guess I wouldn't have a problem with the last 10 minutes of the movie if I felt like I knew what it was it wanted me to think about. I'm just not sure that I left the movie th- 
like I knew that it's like okay, we're not. This is not your feel good movie, right? Even though I think that I mean I'm not sure how many people would have left feeling good at the end of that race. Yes, they're arm and arm as friends or whatever, but you know he didn't he didn't achieve what he deserved. Like this guy doesn't get what he deserves. He deserved to win, yeah. uh, and everybody knows that. Everybody knows that there on the on the track, uh, including Enzo Ferrari, who he has the moment with where he nods. You know they they connect eyes and and they nod at each other, and the then you get the last ten minutes. So you get Chris, you get Ken Miles dying in the car accident which it feels like to your point exactly you know it felt like there are so many other points in the film where that could have happened because it yeah. leaves you in suspense it keeps pushing that narrative like you know this is something that could happen and when i that it it's being sorry yeah go ahead yeah when i, I in fact during the le mans sequence um yeah. like towards the end of the race when he's winning really really bad and yeah. you know he's debating whether to ease off and do what carol yeah. asked him to do or or keep on going Mm-hmm. I actually kind of thought, and I said to Danny, who I, who went to the movie with me, I was like, "Oh, nice! I have a bad feeling about this." Um, <laughs> got a bad feeling about this. Star Wars. No, I, I mean, I kept thinking that by pushing that pushing the car so far, that you know he was going to possibly lose his life there in, on the Le Mans race, and that you know some the brakes were going to blow out or something like that. And so, yeah, to your point, it feels like this could happen um, at any point in the movie, and so I think that's. Uh, a str- again, another strength of the filmmaking here. Yeah, absolutely. I think that and it's exactly what I thought. It's what I, you know, was say. I said to my girlfriend when we were seeing the movie. Um, I was like, you know, I think that it, I think uh, this is going to happen. And I think that maybe would have been a more uh, appropriate tale in the story if that had been how real life went. But it didn't. That's not how it went. But th- but the thing is, though, I think that when it does happen after the fact, it feels like it's tacked on just to remind you that like life sucks and this movie's not a th- like it feels like it's just put in the movie to make you feel to make you feel bad and i you know to make it feel important to make it feel like it there's something to say but then when i think back i'm just like not sure what it's trying to say other than the fact that like life is life is fleeting you know people are trying to achieve their goals and people are willing to literally uh, do things that will kill them to 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 complete their to complete what they're trying to achieve to to achieve what they're trying to what they've set out to do and I guess it's one of those things where if this movie had something to say uh, that was really deep and worth thinking about after the fact, I would have been totally on board with the end of the movie reminding me of that. But for me, I'm just not sure that there is much more to think about this movie. Okay. I mean, yeah. And I think that's just where we differ on the movie. But mm-hmm. um, for me, that does distinguish it from something like Green Book, because I think there is more of a sting in the tail at the end. Of, um, while it's I definitely may- a sting. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, yeah, and it's it may not be something that sits with me, you know, the whole whatever the themes, the themes of the movie may not sit with me long afterwards, like they have with movies like, you know, Parasite or, or, you know, something stronger than this. But um, there's something there. And I I appreciate that they did that again in what is otherwise, uh, you know, an old fashioned, uh, the true Hollywood happy ending. It still seems to be resonating with people because it has an A plus cinema score, 99 percent audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, no, I, I look, I, I I get it, and I and I understand that. I just, to me, I, I guess I'm, I'd be curious to see like what what are the th- I mean, I know you said maybe the themes won't stick with you for very long after the fact, but you appreciate that it it tried to do that. But like, what are the themes that you're still thinking about from the film? And I don't mean it's in, a, well, in like I a mean, targeted way. I'm I'm genuinely. Well, Scott, I think the corporate machine maybe is the thing that that sticks with me, and the fact that, um, you know these these guy these two guys are essentially asked to put aside what they value the most, um in order to 
you know, again, to use the phrase again, appeal to the man and to protect the image of the man and the, you know, the clean cut corporate image of Ford Motor Company and what it means to America. I mean, there's there's a ton of like a idyllic American imagery in this movie, you know, Coke and Budweiser are like the, these brands are plastered all over the place, but I yeah, think they that, paid big money for that ad place. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but I also think that there's, there is kind of a subversive edge to all of this. And the fact that, um, you know, these brands, we associate them with a certain lifestyle because of the way that they're marketed because of what we see. But, um, you know, we associate them with with something quintessentially American. But I think the movie is kind of probing at what what and and you know, I don't think again, I don't think it goes perhaps this deep. But I think the movie is looking at you know what what really is quintessentially American is is that just a facade or um, is you know is, is there something darker really going on under the surface of what um, you know this glossy exterior that we see? And that's not you know that's not a new or fresh idea, mm-hmm. but I think that it's 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 something interesting to see them exploring in any de- in any amount of detail in again what is a big hollywood movie yeah i think that's i think that's fair i'd be really curious if james mangold thought was going for that with what he was doing i'm i just i didn't i just didn't personally well, read that in the in the film and that's fine but i think he could have like he could have just ignored this ford angle uh, you know it, i think largely ignored the the actions that Ford takes in the movie. I mean, obviously the, the end of the race is something that you want to include in the movie, but I don't think um, that there had to be this whole narrative about um, Ford not wanting Ken Miles to drive their car the first time around because they're concerned about their image. I think that the movie does take a deliberate attempts to um, paint Ford in a particular, to paint Ford in a particular light that suggests to me that they're trying to say something um broader about what these what companies like Ford represent to American society. Yeah. I I mean I guess I'm confused how they couldn't have gone down that route since if that is I mean I don't know what what actual like factual liberties they took with any of that but to me if Ken Miles isn't the one driving that car in the first Lamont like you kind of have to explain that and if the if the way that it happened is that it came down from Ford corporate then I don't know how you exclude that or or write that out of the movie but I'm well, sure I mean, they, I mean, they could have yeah. done it. I think, and I think the Josh Lucas character, as on the nose that he is, like, mm-hmm. was Leo Beebe actually like this? Again, I think including a character like this maybe um, is another example of them, um, mm-hmm. you know, saying that, you know, maybe Ford isn't as great as it's made out to look. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not questioning whether or not the, the depiction of Ford was intentional or not, more just the, the themes around the like whole of like qu- questioning what america that i think it was that component that i was more thinking about like how because i mean you and to be fair you're saying that you're not sure it goes this deep or this nuanced yeah. when you're saying when you were describing that and i would agree that i don't think that it goes that deep or that nuanced so i'd be curious what was intended there but i mean we can't answer that question obviously yeah because and i think that something they could have probed to make it deeper is maybe the fact that ken miles is british and sure. um you know what 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 brought him to America? Like we don't really know anything about that. Like, what does the American dream mean to him? Um, yeah, I guess I, think, I also just didn't read the American dream into this movie too much. I mean, I hear what you're saying around like well, setting goals on the poster. So. <laughs> Did they actually? I guess I haven't seen the poster. Yeah, it's. I can't remember. It says something. Let me let me look at it really quick right now. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'll I'll fill uh, dead air while you do this. But I, yeah, I guess I just didn't see the American dream component of it. Like, I totally hear what you're saying. Like, yes, it's a, a yeah. form of it, but it didn't feel very. Uh, it didn't. It didn't feel like a prominent theme in the movie beyond just like they want to 
win this race. Like Matt Damon wants to relive his experience winning Le Mans. Ken Miles wants to reach the pinnacle of racing. Like maybe, I, of course, that I, every time someone has a dream and sets a goal and wants to achieve it, it always ties back to the American dream. But it didn't feel like this. This movie was really trying to. I mean, well, it, it in some ways deconstructed, yes, but it didn't feel super on the nose like many of the other themes of the movie. It says they took the American dream for a ride. That's that's like the tagline on the poster. So perfect. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm an I, idiot. <laughs> I think that. Well, no, I don't. I don't think so. I think you yeah. just had found more deficiencies in the storytelling than yeah, um, sure. than I did. Um, I think that the uh, you know kind of like I was saying, I think the American part of it is not necessarily the characters' backgrounds, which I maybe I would have liked to see more about. Um, but maybe more, they didn't want they didn't want Ken Miles in it because he was British. Maybe that's why. <laughs> yeah. Um, but more just about the portrayal of these like quintessentially American, you know, corporations and yeah. stuff like that. Sure. But yeah. I think we've uh, I think we've set our piece at this point. Um, yeah. and we could probably move into a wrap up if that works with you. Let's do it. All right, Scott, what's your favorite scene or moment? We already know, but do you want to give it another shout? Uh, for yeah, since I haven't really talked about it yet, why not? I mean, I think the whole scene, not not just the part with the car, like I find it hilarious when Matt Damon walks Leo Beebe into his office and locks him in the office. Yeah, and that's uh, when he punches the window out and everything. Yeah, it takes him a little while to punch that window out. But yeah, and then he walks back up to the car and takes, takes Mr. Ford for a ride. And boy, what a ride he took him on. And then uh, just the whole fact that the scene just sits on a shot of, you know, Matt Damon and Henry Ford in the car going, whatever 180 200 miles per hour however fast they end up getting that i hope that was real life and not i, I hope they really did that yeah uh, at, at 200 miles per hour because i think that would have been awesome but i have no idea whether they did or not but no i think that that whole scene is, is done well and i just just to show all, all those people who think that i'm just a hater of matt damon the fact that my favorite scene in this movie has matt damon in it when i could have picked plenty of other christian bale scenes uh i'm not a total matt damon hater but i do think he's overrated as an actor but now he does he does well here and i think that to your point exactly with tracy Letts's performance and, and the direction the story goes in this particular moment is great i just wish it had followed through on it a little bit more because that's basically the last time we really see henry ford in this movie yes he's there at le mans but he's flying off on his helicopter which enzo ferrari makes a joke about and then he flies back in his helicopter so he can shake mclaren's hand basically and uh, you don't really see him or talk or really hear him talk anymore after that scene after you get this really i mean to be fair like very nuanced portrayal of of this corporate figure that makes him very relatable like wanting wanting to be wanting to live up to his legacy and, and, and even create his own legacy right and then not really getting that after that because in some ways like his legacy is fulfilled like he wins lamar so on and so forth but uh, i think i would i think i would have liked since they set it up just a little bit more from that but that's my favorite scene <laughs> Just had to throw that in there, didn't you? Yes, I did, I guess. Yeah, so I'm going to go with the scene uh, between Christian Bale and his son, uh, mm -hmm. Peter. And again, I don't know. The perfect the mile. Yes, that's the one. Um, there, it's, a, it's a really sort of like uh, epic moment where he and his uh, son go out on the track and are looking out into the night sky. And, you know, Christian Bale starts talking about the perfect mile. And, um, you know, if you look far enough out there, you can see it, the perfect mile, every corner, everything perfect, um, kind of setting up his philosophy on on racing and uh, maybe on life as well. Um, mm -hmm. And I, it's yeah, it's it's a nice moment where you sort of step back from the action and the grueling racing and everything and uh, get a nice human moment between these two characters. Um, and of course, you know, it comes back around nicely in Le Mans when uh, Christian Bale does drive the perfect mile and his son gets to watch him do that. Perfect on TV, lap. So. Perfect lap. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and his son gets to watch him do that on TV. So uh, like that part of the movie a lot.
Yeah, no, uh, a really great quieter moment in the film. That is a film that is quite loud. <laughs> yes, at times it certainly is. Um, all right, put a put a score on it, Scott. Seven point three. It's a good film. I would definitely recommend it. Yeah, nine point one for me. This is uh, up there for me on my list for sure. I don't know if it'll ultimately make my top ten, uh, but like I said, it's one of my most anticipated movies of the year, and it pretty much delivered on everything I wanted from it. So, um, shout out to James Mangold. We didn't say much about him, but this is up there with one of my favorite films of his, and he's he's one of the the best directors that we have in terms of creating mass entertainment. I think uh, he he consistently churns out enjoyable products. So uh, shout out to him as well. Nine point one for me. Yeah, I agree. We we didn't talk about Mangold at all, but I think he does a really great job here. Yeah. All right, uh, Scott. Well, that should just about do it for our discussion of Ford versus Ferrari. When we come back from the break, uh, we'll touch on a couple of news items, including some new Uncharted casting news um, and that new Sonic the Hedgehog trailer. Um, And we'll also give our thoughts on the start of The Mandalorian on Disney+. Uh, We'll be right back. Welcome back to this episode of Some Like It, Scott. Scott, before we get into some news and trailer talk, I do want to talk about something big that uh, has happened in the world of streaming TV this week, uh, especially because it's something we've been talking about for quite a while um, and getting excited for. And that, of course, is the release of The Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus. The new streaming service dropped on Tuesday of this week, uh, and we got one, not one, but two Mandalorian episodes um, for this first week. Uh, moving forward, the episodes will be released only on Friday. Except for the week that the Rise of Skywalker comes out, in which the episode's released on Wednesday, because God forbid it compete with the yes. <laughs> for the movie. Yeah. But Scott, you have seen the first episode. I've seen the first two episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your general takes after seeing that first episode? Yeah, I, I think my general take, and I, I'm very intrigued on how it will progress going forward because we're only 40. I mean, I, I should say you're a little bit further, but I'm only 40 minutes into the series. And so I'm going to love to see how it, it develops from there. But like the tone, the feel of the universe, the characters that you see, I think most of that lives up to everything that I wanted from this series, right? Like you get that kind of, you finally get the feel that Star Wars is a bigger universe than the Skywalkers. I mean, you get this, this is set between episode six and episode seven. And, you know, you can feel the ramifications of things that happen in episode six. You can kind of see where things are going towards episode seven. And, but you're getting this story that's very much its own story. It's with its own characters and its own universe. There's no overlap here, right? I mean, in the characters, at least, at least so far. And so it, that's really exciting. I think that the feel, in spite of being PG, you know, it still manages to feel gritty. It still manages to feel like it's a little bit more hard-edged than some of the other stuff in the Star Wars universe. And as much as I'd like them to lean even further into that to explore maybe some more mature themes, which I don't know if the series is going to be able to do with the PG rating, uh, I, I like what you see, and it feels awesome. It feels like you are really getting Star Wars from the big screen, you know, on in, in the in the live-action TV format for the first time. And that's really awesome. That's really exciting to get that for the first time in that live action format. I think that there, it, the first episode does leave some things to be desired around some characters. I think that uh, to be honest, besides the fact the world is really cool, I'm not super 
I wasn't super with most of these characters, and I wouldn't say that I was really hooked by the episode until the very end, the final scene where you have the IG droid and uh, and the Mandalorian in this kind of standoff scene, which is ba- it basically it's just like, it's just a Western shootout that's put into a Star Wars movie. I mean, literally, the town itself looks like something that they took out of like a something out of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or something shooting Western. But I mean, so does Tatooine, to be fair. Yeah, sure. No, no, no. I'm not disputing that at all. Absolutely. But it, it feels like the whole Western feel of the movie is exactly as promised because you get your Western shootout at the end of the first episode. And to me, the that big spoiler, the big hook, uh, the big plot twist at the end of the episode, it works. And it got me absolutely ready for the next episode. Yeah, no, I'm really into this show after the first couple of episodes. I think that I think that a lot of the concerns you're raising are just it's hard things that it's hard to do in a pilot episode of any series. Um, yeah, absolutely. That's why, I, I mean, that's why most people, when you get screeners for TV shows in general, you get like three or four episodes. Yeah. And I think especially here where you're talking about, it's a universe that we know really well in star Wars, but it's characters that we've never seen before. Um, <laughs> and I, that's one of the things I really like about it. Um, and is that it feels like it's, you know, going in a new direction, um, when, you know, all, all of the, the movies that we've had have all been in this Skywalker saga with the exception of this, uh, a couple anthology movies, but, um, so I like but to they're see still set in the same universe. Yes, they, of, of course. But, um, it's telling a different story is, I guess is my point. Sure. Um, but yeah, I love that old Western feel of it. It feels, it arguably feels, uh, more like the original trilogy than any other real star Wars project that we've gotten, um, in quite a while. Um, and so that's really cool. Um, I think that I like what they're doing with the Pedro Pascal Mandalorian character um, of he he seems like, you know, he's this cool like customer and that um, that that's the vibe you get off of him in the beginning. He's uh, this kind of, uh, you know, bounty hunter who is very slick and uh, very good at his job. But I think as mm-hmm. the show progresses and, you know, especially into the second episode uh, even in the first episode. Yeah, even in the first episode, but more so in the yeah. second episode, uh, I think once you get there, Scott, um, he, we, he, some of that facade starts to break down and we see that, uh, you know, maybe he's not a, a, as good um, at his job when he has to, when he's placed in these unfamiliar lo- locations and cultures, uh, maybe he can't adapt quite as well as um, someone, uh, as a better bounty hunter might. And And also we see that, you know, maybe he has a heart inside that uh, costume somewhere that that starts to play in with the cliffhanger ending that we get at the end of the first episode, of course. Hey, is he Um, even Mandalorian? Is he even Mandalorian? Will he take off the mask? These are all questions that are going to be answered, but I'm enjoying the show a lot so far. The action is great. um, And I think that it's only going to get better from here. um, And that we're going to have some nice tie-ins to the star Wars um, that we know and love. Uh, I'm sure moving forward, but also, um, you know, pl- plenty of new stuff, you know, the, the same sort of vibe that I liked from the force awakens, um, a good balance between nostalgia and, uh, foraging your own path. I think that, uh, with all of the directors, with all of the directors that are lined up to direct the rest of the episodes, we're going to, we're definitely going to get some eclectic takes on the star Wars universe. Yes. And that's something I'm excited about. Famed director Bryce Dallas Howard will be doing an episode. Yes, yes, absolutely. I uh, wonder who I mean, her father is that got her an episode. Yeah. No, I'm I'm interested to see that one though. I like her as an actress. So. Yeah, I mean John Favreau wrote like ninety percent of the 
screenplay for all of them. So I think it's yeah. still going to be totally similar. Yeah, I mean, and that's probably true. There wasn't like a huge shift in the first two episodes, despite having different directors. But I'm sure we'll see, you know, people, someone like Taika Waititi will probably put, try to put his own stamp on it as much as possible. <laughs> yeah, Hitler will be in it. That's cool. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, okay. So that's uh, that's The Mandalorian. Check it out on Disney+. Plus. I'm enjoying the streaming uh, service as a whole so far. Um, and also rate. Disney+. Plus. Feel free to throw some ad dollars our way if you want. That's yeah, cool absolutely. Um, yeah. We're Disney shills. Uh, not really, but I mean, yeah, we are. Lion King sucked, but other than that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Dumbo sucked too, but Frozen 2 is probably going to be a 10. So oh, yeah. Cool. Totally. And yeah. a lot of yeah, Scott, uh, why don't we, before we conclude, let's uh, let's hit a couple of news items. Uh, first, you know, the, the one big news item I guess we have to discuss is that um, Mark Wahlberg has been cast in the Uncharted movie, um, the, the movie that maybe will get made eventually at no, some it's point. Get, it's getting uh, made now. They're casting up. It's going to it's gonna get made. Yeah. Travis Knight is going to be directing this. Tom Holland, of course, is playing the lead of Nathan Drake. And now we know that Mark Wahlberg, or I don't know if it's confirmed or if it's just strongly rumored, but uh, Mark Wahlberg is likely going to be playing Sully, who is sort of the mentor character to Nathan Drake, I believe. Um, yep. He's, you know, a little bit older of a character, which I think is maybe one of the things that is giving people a little bit of a pause. Uh, also, of course, the fact that Mark Wahlberg was rumored to play Nathan Drake for quite a, a long time, um, but he's still being involved with the project. Scott, I think you're a little lukewarm on this casting. Do you want to oh say what? Yeah, no, I'm very <laughs> lukewarm is being generous in this casting. Yeah, I'm just not a fan of Mark Wahlberg, I guess. But I'm really surprised. Like Sully is like this old mentor figure, exactly like what you're describing. And I always thought of him as being like 60, 65 years old. And Mark Wahlberg's like 48. Like yeah like i don't understand this casting at all like they could have had who's the um i can't believe i'm blanking on his name but the guy from the brother from a star is born oh sam elliott yeah they could have sam elliott sam elliott is like the perfect sully yeah i can see that i played played a little bit of the first game so yeah honest to god like he would be the perfect sully um maybe a little bit old to be fair but like the perfect sully and this just makes me and like okay to take my like opinion hat off here and try to work through what the casting here is i think this means that this movie is probably going to be a prequel to the first uncharted movie like already like Hmm. tom holland is younger than nathan yeah that's a good point like mark Wahlberg is definitely younger than sully maybe this is the story of um well that's all so they kind of tell that story in the third game how sully meets um nathan drake they tell it in, in a series of flashbacks and that isn't quite the story that's going to be told here, but this could be one of their, you know, one of their first early adventures going on outside of the game. And honestly, I don't think uh, trying to adapt the the story of the first game or any of the games for that matter is really the direction they should be going anyway. So I think that this is a good thing. If, if this is the sign of them taking a story out that, that is happening as a prequel to that first game, it's just separate from the than the stories that we've seen on uh, on you know on the PlayStation so far. I think that's a, a really great direction to go because ultimately those games themselves are are basically movies, but the difference is they're like twelve to fifteen hour movies, and it would not be a good idea in my mind. And it was always my concern that they might try to capture, uh, basically try to reproduce the games uh, on the big screen. And it sounds like maybe they're not. That's at least there's some indications that's not the direction that they're going, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah, no, I don't have as, as informed a take on this as you not being uh, as deeply into the games, but um, I am still skeptical about this project. Obviously, you know, it's been in development hell forever, but Tom Holland, I think, 
kind of strange casting. We've talked about that in the past, I think, but he doesn't uh, give me the vibe that I get from this Nathan Drake character and my limited experiences that I've had with the character. Um, and yeah, you need a little bit more of a, of a roguish kind of, yeah. Like, I mean, like an Indiana Jones type. Well, like, yeah, he's highly he, styled after Indiana Jones for sure. On solo. Yeah. Just Harrison that, Ford. You just need like 20 year old Harrison Ford. To do this and that's not the vibe that I get from Tom Holland, but maybe that's just like my bias from the way that he plays Spider-Man. I mean, yeah. it's possible that he has something completely different. in him. Yeah. I've heard some, a couple of reactions of like some footage shown of like cherry, which he's in, which is the Russo brothers uh, produced, I think, or directed. I can't remember if it's produced or directed uh, movie. And apparently he is like, it is different than anything you've seen from Tom cool. Holland, which I'm, I'm here for. Yeah. But yeah, it sounds like the Wahlberg casting a little off the wall too, from what you're saying. So yeah, uh, I remain skeptical of this movie, but uh, sounds like it is at least moving along. So I think we're going to, we, we are going to see it released. Um, okay, Scott, last thing to hit before we conclude today. Uh, we have the new trailer for Sonic the Hedgehog come out. Of course, this trailer was, uh, recut after the backlash uh, that happened online when the first Sonic trailer came out um, and the design of the character obviously was kind of terrifying and awful, mm -hmm. um, but also the movie just kind of looked awful. Terrifying. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so they've redone the character now. He looks, he definitely looks a lot smoother and better. I'm not sure if the movie looks a lot smoother or better. Was What was your reaction to the new trailer, Scott? Although I will say it did seem like people were coming down a lot more positive on this. Yeah, I was like more positive on every front. I mean, I was pretty negative on that first trailer, not just from a... Honestly, I was less bothered by the character design and just more bothered by how terrible the movie looked uh, from the first trailer, though I, I definitely understand the uproar about the character design. And the character looks better for sure. And uh, to me, the movie looks better, too. I don't know if they're just making it look a little bit rosier with a better cut of a trailer and we're still going to get a dumpster fire of a film. But I, I base I, I think that I feel a little bit more hope for this film than I did before, especially since it's going to be our Valentine's Day review this year. So isn't that so what about much birds of prey? What about birds of prey? Though? Doesn't that come out Valentine's Day as well? Uh, no, before. that's the weekend before. Yeah. Yeah. You should know, man. We're going to see it together. No, there's something else I saw that's coming out on Valentine's Day. Though. It's the King's Man. But yes, um, that's exactly what it is. Do you want to do that or sound like the Hedgehog? We'll do it live here on the King's podcast. Man. We'll make King's a decision right now. Um, I mean, that's that works for me. Uh, but yeah, so we you know, you got to figure that out uh, whether or not this. I'm I guess the ultimately the question that you have to ask yourself is how much of this movie have they redone? Have they done more than just redesign yeah. the Sonic character? Uh, obviously that's a huge lift for that for that VFX uh, animation team to do whichever it is. Uh, I guess it's VFX not animation. Although what's the difference at some point? But uh, I you know it's a huge lift for them to do that and how much of this how much of the movie is being redone because there was I think a pretty fairly negative reaction beyond just Sonic's a Sonic's design in that first trailer and I think that you do this feels and looks a lot better from a trailer perspective about the movie here in the second trailer and I'm much more optimistic coming off of this trailer for more than just the character design but man that first trailer was so bad um, from all aspects that I'm I have I'm hesitant to say that my, all of my concerns have been alleviated by this new trailer yeah no I uh I guess I agree. You know, it, it it's hard for it to get any worse than that first trailer was. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think it is worse, but I don't know that I really have many positive reactions to this movie. I still think Jim Carrey looks kind of cringy um, 
as what's this Robotnik or something? I think Doctor Robotnik. Yeah, I, um, I can't remember the, the alternative name. But I, I think that he looked like if you hadn't seen that first trailer, though, like this is less cringy than it was. Yeah, the first no, it, it is. But yeah. um, I don't know. The the humor in this movie seems a little like it's going to be a little adolescent. Um, well, yeah, definitely, it's a kids movie. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's my problem. Like, but but that's the thing. Like, kids movie doesn't have to have adolescent humor in it. Like the Lego movie is a kid's movie, but it doesn't have adolescent humor in it. Um, Best movie I, of the decade. The, you're absolutely right. It is. Um, <laughs> but, and, and I think that like in general, kids movies are starting to do a better job um, of, you know, a, ma- managing to strike that right balance of um, sure. not getting too far above kids reading level, so to speak. Uh, but also, you know, making an enjoyable experience for their parents to sit through. Um, and I'm not sure this movie is going to strike that balance. Um, I think it's coming off. Maybe a, it, I, maybe I, I'm a little skeptical after Detective Pikachu um, was kind of a similar release date, similar, you know, video game based kind of going for this sort of snarky, like PG Deadpool type tone. Obviously, that movie actually had Ryan Reynolds in it. Um but I, I do get some similar vibes from this, from what I've seen of Sonic so far. Did um, did you come out in May? Yeah, you're right. It did, but yeah. um, early year, I guess, is my point. But um, sure. I the, the the larger point is that the vibes I'm getting are, are similar. I think, um, and probably yeah. the influences are somewhat similar. And I mean, I, people liked Detective Pikachu, but I think this is going to be maybe going to be one of those things where if you, the stronger the connection you have to the source material, maybe the better you'll enjoy it. Yeah, maybe. I think Detective Pikachu was an enjoyable, if not quite good film. Um, I don't know if I said that right. Enjoyable, but maybe not good film. Yeah. I am concerned that Sonic will be neither. Yeah, no, I think that's probably a, a fair concern, especially, you know, February. We've seen some decent February movies over the last couple of years, but in general, not the place where you drop here. Yeah, what did, what did we have this year in February? We watched... We had uh, we had Alita, we had Happy Death Day, we had... Oh, screw um, it, man. February was a banger this year. Something else, too. Yeah. I can't remember, but... Um, oh, Lego Movie, too. Um, Less of a banger. Well, agree to disagree. But um, yeah, no, I, I, I don't know about this one. But um, it's nice that they're at least listening to the fans, I guess. Although I hope that this doesn't set, you know, a precedent like we're going to remake The Last Jedi because the fans don't like it. Um, I mean, I think it was a little different here. But yeah, I, t- I but, we, but voiced, we, we, I we talked about this yeah. before. And we, we agree. We agree at this point. Yeah. Um, OK, Scott, I think this should just about do it for this episode of Some Like It, Scott. Uh, where can our lovely listeners find you on Twitter? At Shelton 2013 And I am at Scarvey Dent. Uh, we hope you have enjoyed this episode of the podcast. If you have and you'd like to support us, please check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash media plug pods. Um, you can support us over there. Even if you choose not to support us, uh, you can also, or we, we, we would hope that you would also rate, like, um, subscribe, do all the things on your respective podcast apps. Uh, so that we can continue to grow our listener base uh, and check out all of our other podcasts on the same feed where you found this one. The Star Wars series um, is going on. We're getting into the anthology movies next. So um, getting all that done in the lead up to Rise of Skywalker. So check those out and join us again next time on our next Some Like It, Scott, on which we will be reviewing the Disney sequel Frozen 2. Uh, Until then, for Scott Shelton, I'm Scott Harvey. 
See you next time. Mm-hmm.